Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. I'm pleased to welcome to the studio today one of our newest colleagues here at WRI, Lori Bird. Lori is the director of the U.S. Energy Program and the Polsky Chair for Renewable Energy. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lawrence. It's, it's a pleasure to be here today. I should perhaps give a shout out to our board member, Michael Polsky, who sponsors the chair that makes your presence possible. Michael is the CEO of Invenergy, a renewable energy uh, company. And uh, so far, this is the only endowed chair that we have. So um, thank you, Michael, for making that possible and for bringing us Lori. Um, Lori, before you joined, you were at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. I learned before the show started what that is, and people who are deep in the energy space will know. But what is the National Renewable Energy Laboratory? Where is it located, and what does it do? Um, The lab is based in Golden, Colorado, um, and it's a U.S. Department of Energy laboratory that focuses on renewable energy technologies specifically. Um, There are other national labs, um, but but NREL is the one that's devoted to renewables. So the lab overall has about 2,500 people, and there's a lot of different activities that go on. Um, There's a lot of lab science uh, and research to increase the efficiency of solar cells and things like that, or... um, new techniques for biofuels development and so forth. But the lab also has divisions that do analysis uh, of renewable energy policies or um, technology costs and things like that. Uh, And there's a deployment arm as well. So I come from the policy and markets group at NREL. Uh, And so when I was there, I focused on issues related to barriers to deployment of renewables, essentially. So a lot of work on wind and solar energy technologies in particular and customer adoption of those. What excites you about coming to WRI? Well, I was really excited to join WRI because I think it's a really great opportunity to have impact on the ground. I like the kinds of work that that WRI does, and it's really important right now to be able to make fast changes um, to our electricity system. And I think nonprofits are in a very good position right now to have a lot of impact. So that that was what was most appealing to me was the, the, the ability to make some change on the ground, to work directly with utilities and large buyers to, to try to accelerate change. Tell me if I understand this correctly. At the center of your work and the, the work of the U.S. Energy Program at WRI is to increase demand and supply of renewables and mostly focus on big buyers. Do I have that right? Yeah, a lot of our work is focused on that. That's that's true. Um, there's a new large project that's launching just now, the American Cities Climate Challenge that's funded by Bloomberg Philanthropies, um, which is a really exciting new project. Uh, what we're going to be doing is working with cities who have set aggressive targets for renewable deployment um, and helping them figure out how to get there. So, you know, and cities really often need help because they have such a small staff and um, can have challenges just, you know, navigating their internal systems to make change. So what we're trying to do through this new project is to provide them the resources um, that they need, but also bringing them together with other cities so that they can share lessons learned and um, they can all move each other along faster by through peer exchange. How goes the battle to increase the share of renewables. I feel like I'm constantly hearing that the costs for solar and wind are falling, uh, that there have been large uh, increases in the amount that's been generated in percentage terms. But then when I turn around and look at the share of total energy that is coming from renewables, I'm always a little disappointed that it's not as high 
as I would have thought. So, you know, you can tell a very good news story about rapid growth and falling prices, or you can tell a kind of a not-so-good news story about the the extent to which renewables are displacing high-pollution sources like coal. Yeah, it's true. We still have a long way to go to get to higher uh, fractions of renewables, but um, it is growing really fast. And I think it's interesting over the last four years that uh, renewables have uh, represented more than half of the new capacity additions um, in the marketplace. So that's, um, you know, that's pretty big progress of all the new generating facilities that are placed. You know, if more than half of them are coming from renewable sources, that's pretty significant. So we've been at this renewables game for a long time. We've got it to roughly 10% of total energy. What would your ambition be? You say you came here because you wanted things to change fast. We all want them to change fast. What's a reasonable but ambitious target? Would we expect renewables are going to be half of power generation in 10 years? Well, um, there are states that have goals um, you know, along those lines. We have six states now that have goals to have renewables be 50% or more of the generation mix uh, in the coming years. So we're starting to see movement towards that. And much much of that action has been in the last couple of years. So states early on uh, established renewable electricity standards, and you know often those were set at 20% levels or, or lower. Uh, and, and in recent years, you know, states have been achieving those targets faster than they expected, and prices have been falling, so they've been increasing their targets. So there's a lot of discussion now about uh, setting higher targets for renewables. So I have a question about prices. It seems to me that we make a big push around renewables. We know that the costs are falling because of technology advancement, economies of scale. Do the prices of fossil fuels then follow in their wake? Every time we get a drop in the price of renewables, the price of fossil goes down as well, making it harder for renewables to compete? No, we're not seeing that. Um, in fact, we've we've seen um, the renewables are very cost competitive and uh, in many cases, the lowest cost technologies that are out there. We've seen record-breaking prices for solar, for instance, in Arizona and Nevada. Uh, in you know earlier this year, prices below thirty dollars a megawatt hour, which is re- very impressive pricing. So the renewables are competing with conventional generation, uh, and because they don't have fuel costs and they don't have that fuel cost risks, they have they have uh, additional appeal to customers. What's going on in the old Confederacy? Lots of sunshine, very poor penetration of renewables in the American South. What's that all about? Um, there is difference in um, action on renewables in various parts of the country. There are not um, policy drivers um, in in the southern part of the country as as much in the southeast um, many of those states don't have renewable electricity standards whereas we have seen them be adopted in the northeast and the, and the west coast and and some other uh, states as well um, so you know the policy is not um, as stringent uh, in the in the southeast but we are seeing some action um, by some utilities in in the region um, North Carolina has has a large amount of solar generation um, to date. They're doing a lot of large-scale, utility-scale solar. Um, other states are, are doing that as well. I think we're going to continue to see action, actually, um, in the southeast. Um, there's there's a lot more um, discussion and movement in, in places like Florida. I think we might see more demand um, in, in that region going forward. Is that about shifting politics there as those states become more purple? We'll see more demand, or do you see any interest in the 
uh, among conservatives in supporting renewables? To be honest, I think a lot of the conversation is changing because of cost considerations. I mean, the cost of renewables are becoming very attractive, which is um, changing the discussion a little bit. And so I think that's part of what we're seeing. Um, there could be some part of the changing politics as well. But, um, you know, the South has also had very low cost power for a long time. And so that's been a challenge to compete against those resources. But um, but I do think that utilities are taking note of, of the, the cost competitiveness of renewables. Giving you kind of a smorgasbord of questions, I have another question. What about rooftop solar? I mean, a lot of people, people I know, they are committed and they spend a lot of money to get rooftop solar and they believe they're advancing the cause by demonstrating these technologies. You focus on, I think WRI focuses on on large buyers, thinking that that's a more effective way to go. Does the home-based rooftop solar contribute either in terms of shifting policy or significantly to the penetration of, of renewables? Yeah, I think it's vitally important. I actually have rooftop solar on my home. Um, and, and I think it's really important to provide customers with, with that option to um, to to you know, generate their own electricity from a project on their homes. You know, not all homes can, are suitable for rooftop solar. So that's one of the challenges there. But uh, it can be very affordable and, and very cost effective in some locations. We've seen a huge amount of rooftop solar installed, both by um, residential customers, but also businesses in recent years, uh, because of the the cost effectiveness. We've had third-party companies that come in, they own and operate the PV systems um, and sell the power to the customers, uh, often at lower prices than what the utility uh, offers them. So they save money. Last time I looked at I live in Virginia, across the river here, and so my friends in Maryland and D.C. benefit from various kinds of incentives, and those of us in Virginia, not so much. Are those government incentives necessary to make it worthwhile? Uh, yeah, it can make a difference for sure. Um, there is still a federal investment tax credit that's uh, 30% of the system cost, so that's an important um, incentive, and, and that is going to be phasing down over over the next uh, in coming years. Uh, and states have been uh, have policies to help drive the the cost of PV uh, as well, and those vary, you know, across all of the states. So, what you know, one of the most important um, policies is net metering and whether and what what you're able to sell the electricity back to the utility if you're not using it on site. So that's um, I, I believe that net metering in Virginia is they sell it to me at retail and I get to sell it to them at wholesale. I think that that's the yeah. That so the, that's actually that the not, monopoly not utility net metering. Has offered. <laughs> yeah, net metering would be is is technically defined as being able to sell it back to them at retail. Before we started recording, you were telling me about the Clean Power Council. What is that? So it's a really interesting project that WRI has that um, works with utilities and large corporate buyers to try to figure out how to make progress on challenges to renewables um, procurement. I mean, the, the companies are trying to procure more uh, larger amounts of renewables, and in some cases they're limited uh, by the options, particularly if they're in a... a traditionally regulated electricity market. They, they have to procure through the utilities or they have fewer options about how they can buy renewables. So the Special Clean Power Council focuses on trying to come up with innovative solutions that work for both the large buyers and the utilities. So they, they're addressing various issues related to renewable procurement like emissions accounting issues and can 
um, corporate demand be captured in utility planning process like in integrated resource planning so that they uh, can set us you know set aside that demand and account for the demand uh, by the corporate buyers as they're planning their their systems and the new capacity additions over time so Lori, you mentioned that a number of um, cities and states have set very ambitious renewable energy targets um, I've heard something about as the share of renewables gets larger, that introduces a lot of problems with the grid, particularly around intermittency, that, you know, the renewables may be generated not necessarily when you need the power. Um, Is that a significant problem, and will be untangling that be a significant part of what you do here? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting issues associated with getting to higher penetrations of renewables. Um, And, yeah, a lot of what we've seen so far is growth in both wind and solar generation. And you often get a lot of wind, um, you know, at nighttime when you have low load periods and solar can be concentrated in the middle of the day, uh, which is often good, but um, is creating challenges in some jurisdictions like California, um, where they have, you know, a lot of solar generation midday um, and it's not coincident with their peak demand periods. So um, we, you know, we have been getting to higher penetrations of renewables, and the the independent system operators, the grid operators, have been making adjustments to accommodate them. And you know, so far they've been able to make operational changes, um, and in some cases, you know, infrastructure changes like transmission um, access and so forth uh, to to address um, some of those changes. But but going forward, you know, as we get to higher penetrations of renewables, we're going to need to do more to, to really accommodate that on the grid. But there are a lot of solutions and there's a lot of opportunity going forward to be able to do that. Um, we haven't really tapped into the, the customer demand side flexibility so much. And I, I think that's a really interesting um, place to focus on. And I do see WRI focusing on that in their work. Now, what do you mean the customer demand side flexibility? This would be like using a timer to run my washing machine in the middle of the night when there's yeah, power? Yeah, shifting your loads to match uh, when they're needed, uh, when when there's renewables on the grid, right? So could you shift if there's a lot of excess solar generation in the middle of the day, could consumers be utilizing that energy instead of uh, wasting it and kind of shifting it from the peak period that they currently have? So, you know, residential customers could increasingly do this going forward with new technologies if uh, if we can make it controllable and, and easy for them to manage. But large corporations and large buyers also can do a lot here, I think, to um, make their uh, loads, you know, to 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 access the flexibility uh, of their loads and to help accommodate um, the the renewables on the grid. Do you need variable pricing over the course of the day to incentivize that kind of thing? Yeah, utilities. We are seeing new um, pricing structures rolling out in various jurisdictions to encourage that kind of behavior. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. I think electric vehicles are also another really interesting element of this. As we start to see growth in electric vehicle demand, um, it, it can be really helpful to align that with uh, and do roll out electric vehicles in a way that help um, the overall flexibility of the grid and to accommodate renewables on the on the system. So, you know, doing workplace charging midday can align very well with solar generation. Right. Charge my car at night if my jurisdiction has a lot of cheap wind at night. Exactly. And I charge it at night at home. Yeah, so utilities are thinking about that a lot right now, and I think it's really important, and there's a lot of potential for for that to roll out in a way that it's helpful to the grid. 
What's going on with batteries? Are, are we going to see sort of big utility-scale battery storage, or is it mostly going to be sort of home use and cars and, and distributed batteries? Um, I think both. We're starting to see both already. Um, yeah, storage prices are coming down very rapidly. Um, and, you know, st- smaller-scale storage is not cost-effective necessarily in, in that many jurisdictions yet, um, although it's it's very site-specific. There are some places where smaller companies or, um, you know, just corporates in general that install PV systems might be able to install um, battery storage in addition to those and reduce demand charges and, and make that cost-effective. So um, in some places where there's a pretty dramatic demand charge, um, it can be cost-effective today. There's a lot of storage going in, in Hawaii because systems are not allowed to export to the grid. So we're seeing a lot of growth there. Um, but the cost of battery storage is really coming down incredibly um, I've, I just saw a statistic that um, the cost reduction has been 79% uh, in lithium-ion batteries since 2010. So wow. it's a huge. That's a that's a big a big drop. Um, we're just about out of time. You've touched on some of the things you're going to be working on here, but I thought it'd be useful for our listeners if you just give me the two or three things that are going to be at the top of your list, and then in six months we'll ask you back and ask you how it's going. Great. Yeah, I mean, one of the really uh, interesting things that we're working on is is with cities and helping them figure out how to go to uh, to procure higher amounts of renewable energy for their uh, own municipal facilities, but also to encourage um, citizens within their cities often to procure renewables. And I, I think um, I'm really excited about that work stream because it's very timely, um, and I think we can have a large impact and really help those cities move along. Many many cities are very interested in just uh, accelerating the pace of renewables deployment and clean energy um, deployment, as you know, often driven by the an interest in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, that's their fundamental goal. So they're doing other things as well besides the renewables to to achieve their greenhouse gas reduction goals. Um, but I think um, it's exciting to see all of the interest and just the, the number of cities that are setting aggressive goals has been fascinating to me and how quickly that, that has really taken off. So I'm excited for that. You, you mentioned before the show that they often have ambitious goals, but they're rather thinly staffed. So this is an area where somebody like WRI can be helpful to them in figuring out how to proceed. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think many cities really could use some help because um, they are you know, often the folks there have many hats that they wear and many responsibilities, right? And this is just one of the tasks that they have. And so they need some assistance. And I, I think um, the ability of cities to learn from each other is is tremendous because, you know, some have solved issues and can share how they, how they did it with the others, right? And just move all of the cities along much faster. So I'm excited for that element of the project as well. I think it's a really good um, good way to go about it, of, you know, trying to get cities to talk to each other, to share lessons learned so that they can just move faster. Cities and will continue to work on the large buyers and uh, utilities interface? That's correct. Yeah, we're, we are continuing to work with utilities and large buyers to figure out, um, you know, innovative solutions to moving, moving large corporate buying along faster and, you know, solutions that work for both the utilities and the large buyers. Um, I think it's a, it's a great way to keep making progress and um, just moving things along faster. Terrific. Thank you very much. Anything else you want to leave? Parting thought? Um, 
you know, I think it's a fascinating time in the industry right now just because the rate of um, change in technology uh, is, you know, it's just going so fast that, um, you know, with electric vehicles coming and storage prices dropping, renewables prices dropping, there's a lot of change, a lot of distributed um, generation on the on the grid. Um, all these things are just fascinating, and we're at this... Uh, intersection of a really interesting time to just completely change, transform the electric sector. So it's it's fun. Well, we're lucky to have you to um, lead that work, and um, I'm lucky to get to meet you on your first visit here at WRI, and I uh, hope that you'll come back often and uh, check in with us from time to time. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks very much. I've been speaking with Lori Bird. She's the U.S. Director for Energy and the Polsky Chair for Renewable Energy here at the World Resources Institute. I'm Lawrence McDonald. This is the World Resource Institute podcast. You can hear us on Stitcher, iTunes, and anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.